0: Welcome back to another episode of Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser, and today is actually Veterans Day. This episode is not going to come out on Veterans Day, but it's Veterans Day in studio, and I am so proud of my guest, Erica Kelly. Erica Kelly is a native of Guatemala and a resident of California. She was 12 years old when she arrived at the United States for a new successful future. She is a John Maxwell Certified Professional Speaker, Executive Coach, and Trainer. In this position, she is a global professional where her leadership skills are utilized to add value and to develop companies in their effectiveness and production goals. She helps thousands of leaders to become better communicators, to establish trust and credibility with others. Her coaching skills and mentorship allows individuals to realize their own potential and to achieve greater goals for themselves and the companies and organizations they work for. Erica Kelly was also the 17th Command Chief Master Sergeant for the Air Force Reserve Command and the Senior Enlisted Advisor to the Chief of the Air Force Reserve. Under her role as a Command Chief, Erica Kelly represented the highest enlisted executive level of leadership in the military. She advised the commander on all issues regarding the readiness, training, welfare, morale, and proper utilization and progress of more than 74,000 civilians, enlisted officers, active duty, and reserves citizen airmen, serving at more than 60 military bases worldwide. She also provided direction to the Joint Reserve Forces and represented her interests at all levels of government, other military branches, and in joint strategic and operational war fighting environments. Everybody, please welcome Erica Kelly.
1: I want to know who she is.
0: (laughs) Isn't that incredible? I mean, I got goosebumps, seriously, saying your bio. Because to think that you were this 12 year old little girl from Guatemala, and I'm sure you didn't speak English. And you did all of that in your bio. That is incredible. Thank you. you. You truly are a fearless female and on top of it, a veteran. I am. We are so all of us are so glad that you have
1: served our country. So tell us about your journey. Well, before I do that, I just want to say that I am truly honored for the invitation, truly honored to be across from you and to just have this amazing conversation. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. It sounds pretty amazing when when you look at the military career and also you look at me as a public speaker now, but you're right. The 12 year old child that came to the United States was very afraid, did not speak English, and had to deal with all kinds of self limiting beliefs, in which fear, I think, was my best friend for many, many years. But if I can even back it up a little bit and not talk about, and I will talk about that 12 year old, but let me talk to you in the audience, possibly about the five-year-old. So my earliest memories as a child are of my mother Mm -hmm. and my two brothers. I remember their laughter and running, playing under the warm rain of Guatemala. But things changed when my mother left. I was five years old, my brothers four and three. When my mother walked away from us, She locked the door from the outside. We lived in a decrepit shack. You guys were five, four, and three years old. We were. We
0: were. And she just locked you into a shack. Yes. Was she coming
1: back or no? Well, she left us in complete darkness. Mm -hmm. And when I tell the story of that five-year-old little girl, sometimes I skip a lot. And I just say... That my brothers and I were in that room for seven days Uh and that my grandmother rescued us. Wow. And my grandmother became our mom. And our mother, she just faded from our memories. Really? Until years later, I was already 12, there was an earthquake Mm. in Guatemala, big enough that it made the news in the States. Wow. Wow. And my mother lived in California with her new husband. So she saw it on the news. She saw it on the news and she told her husband that she needed to go see how her mom was doing because she failed to tell her husband that she had three kids. (gasps) No way. Yeah. So she, yeah, she came back. and With her husband or by herself? By herself. She came back by herself. And... She saw the conditions that we were in. Now, this is after the earthquake. We lost the little shack that we had and our home were uh, four sheets. Wow. Four sheets in the middle of the street is where we lived. And we were fed by the Red Cross, the American Red Cross. And that was really my first exposure to America. But uh, she came back and she saw our conditions and she decided to bring us back with her really she did so she's gonna have to tell her husband yes so that was pretty amazing to see and witness so she decides to bring us back she is a complete stranger even though i lived in complete total poverty i was mad Mm. who was she and i asked her i asked her how dare you come back really at five years old well I was 12 12. I was 12 and I was I was pretty independent yeah well you had to be you had to grow up really fast I did I did so I asked her how dare you come back and and really for what yeah to to take us away from our home and I'm I'm pointing at the sheets of course yeah and But no answer from her, none. So did your grandma let you go? She didn't have a choice because our legal mother was back. Mm. So she brought us, I I believe, looking back at the, the pieces of my life, I believe that my mom had $300 and she did not want to tell her husband that she was bringing us, of course, because he would have said, no, I'm sure. So we walked. We crossed the border from Guatemala to Mexico and my mother, my two brothers and I, we walked and took rides whenever people gave us rides in Mexico. How long was the walk? Who knows? I just remember that we were hungry Mm -hmm. and my mom had to beg for food when we met people on the road. Wow. And I remember people not having food themselves, not having money themselves, and cutting their tortillas
0: to in make smaller enough.
1: pieces to make enough for us to be able to eat. Wow. That's what I remember of the Mexican heart and soul. We got to the, we got to the border. I don't remember much, but I do remember, I do remember my mother calling my stepdad. His name was John. Mm-hmm. And John came to, I believe we were in TJ. Remember, I'm, my, my memories are pretty fuzzy. Yeah. But we were in TJ, Tijuana. And he comes. And the only thing that I see is a woman, a desperate woman, and a very angry man. Really, And they're arguing. And she's pointing at the three of us. And she's crying. And he is in complete disbelief.
0: Well, yeah, she just dropped an entire bomb, not one, but three bombs. Like, first of all, he thinks this is like a single woman that he married and he's living his great life in California. Yes. And then she leaves to, quote unquote, go check on her mom and then comes back with three almost teenage kids. Correct. And says, these are
1: my my children. Yes. And either take me and them or I'm out. Wow. And at the time, they had a small one-year-old daughter. So I now now I have a half-sister. So he is looking at a huge life decision, right? A wife that's been lying to him for years, an infant child, and then looking at the three of us. And I can tell you that because of the conditions that we lived in Guatemala, we, we had no idea what true electricity looked like. Wow. Or what indoor plumbing was. So we are in a complete strange environment, just staring at people and looking at things because we have never seen those people and those things, like yeah. real walls. It's like the- you're now into the future and you're like, what is all this stuff? Correct, correct. That was my that was my trip to the border from Mexico to the States. And then the next thing I know is that we're in a car. We're in the, the three of us or in, in the back of a car. What I do remember, because it was, to me, pretty amazing, because I never seen it before, is that the car was stopped at the border. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it was Border Patrol. Yeah. Right. But the only thing I remember is this pretty amazing young man, who knows, in his 20s, I'm 12, but he had the bluest eyes. mm mm-hmm. And he's talking in English. I'm sleeping in the back. I just wake up, look up. And I see, to me, it was like an angel, right? Aww. Because I'm just opening my eyes and I see that he's talking. But there were some, what I remember, there was a gentle tone to his voice. And I just thought that his eyes were so beautiful. And then the car just moved forward. Mm-hmm. And we ended up, out of all places, in Compton. Wow. California. Compton. Wow. That's a culture shock. <laughs> that was a culture shock. So um, my first year in the States was in Compton. And I can tell you that that is when my life completely turned. One, I am with a complete strange woman. I am angry. And I can tell you that anger and resentment really rooted inside every single cell that I had. I was an angry child with a woman who I did not see as a mother. And then I'm looking at a man who I don't know. And he's very angry at my presence. Yeah. And well, yes, in my brother's presence. That is
0: so jaw-dropping. Yeah, I would never have guessed that that would be the beginning of your journey. I just, I can feel the anger and the resentment as a child, all of a sudden be in a completely new environment, with two strangers who one is now calling herself your mother, correct, and one who is now your stepfather, who obviously, and I talk about this all the time, as children, we can't vocalize our feelings or our thoughts, and we can't really express ourselves. But the energy in the room is something that we carry with us forever. So the energy of the anger and the resentment between your you know, mom and your stepfather, it was something that you also carried. And like you said, it was in every cell of your body. And I'm it sure was. it wasn't just you who was experiencing it. I'm sure your brothers were experiencing the same thing. It's like people talk about the elephant in the room and the thickness of, it, of that toxic energy. And nobody knows exactly what to say, but say there's an elephant in the room. But how, how did you get past that? How did you survive that time in your life? Like, did you like eventually had to move out, right? Because you have six more years until you're 18. Or how did that transition happen for you where you were like, I need to get
1: away from this? So my transition was pretty unique in that we lived in Compton for maybe a year and a half and the violence and just the toxic energy, not just from home, because our home was very dysfunctional but just in the area that we lived in, mm-hmm. that my mother decided that we as a family were going to move to Las Vegas. So, Whoa. so in reality, I grew up in Las Vegas. I went to UNLV, graduated from UNLV. And if I was going to call a city my home, it would be Vegas. Vegas. Yes. So there I am at uh, maybe 13, almost 14 in Las Vegas. Have you learned to speak English at this time? No, no, no. Because in Compton, it was so violent that the only people that I spoke to were Spanish speakers. Wow. So I did not start learning English until we moved to Las Vegas because Las Vegas, even in school here, they had English as a second language. So all my classes, believe it or not, were all in Spanish. Wow. Wow. Crazy. Yeah, but they were crazy. And when I look back, I think that and this is just my opinion, but I think that they did a disservice because it never forced me to learn English because I was in a comfort bubble. I was so comfortable with the language. I completely agree
0: with that because um, growing up, I spoke Spanish until I went to elementary school and me and my sister, who's only a year and a half older than me. And I think they did do a disservice is my sister Lilia was placed in English as a second language and when her classes were primarily Spanish and I was placed in, you know, English only classes. And my education was a lot like I was not to be mean to my sister who actually listens to this podcast, but I feel like I got a lot more out of school than she did you know I was I graduated from college I was more you know in tune with like education where my as my sister struggled because it was hard for her to have her mind work on both Spanish and English and it's still it still struggles for her it's still a struggle for her to like interpret in her mind like she thinks in Spanish
1: but tries to speak in English do you understand? I, I understand completely that's that's what I do. So sometimes I'm just faster. Yeah. But everything that you're saying, I have to translate to Spanish and then back to English so I can answer. Yeah. I just do it quicker. Yeah. But it is a struggle because I feel that hopefully in the future I can master both languages. But I am in that gray area of not uh, bouncing back and forth in yeah. both of the languages. But nonetheless, when I got to Vegas with my family... It was a very cold awakening of English only, yeah, which helped me study and learn the language. But the dysfunction at home did not change. The mm. dysfunction at home doesn't matter where you move to, yeah. right? The <laughs> dysfunction is still the dysfunction. So at the age of 16, I think, is when my mother kicked me out of the house. 16. At 16. And now... Now I look at 16 year olds and I help 16 year olds because I talk, you know, I go to schools and I talk to young people all the time and I, I see me at 16 and I'm like, how in the world did I survive all that? Yeah. But 16, you've only spoken English for maybe a year. I don't, I wasn't even, I was (sighs) still learning English. And she was saying, okay, you're ready. (laughs) Well, it was not that she kicked me out because I was ready for the world. It was more that, and mind you, I I just, so I want you, please. I want you. But I definitely want the listeners to understand that I'm not judging my mother. Mm. I am uh, very faith bound. Yeah. And what I'm sharing with you and what I'm sharing with the listeners is not to judge my mother because life is life. But at 16, I am a homeless teenager in the streets of Las Vegas. Wow. And and the reason that she asked me to leave was because I was in high school and working and it wasn't enough. My mother's dream for me. And so you started with my bio.
0: Yeah.
1: And you started with uh, the amazing career that I, thank God, had in the military. But my mother's dream for me was to be a maid in the in a hotel in the nice hotels in Las Vegas. Yeah, that was that was her dream for me. So when I was going to high school, she thought that was a waste of time. She wanted me to go to work and become the best maid possible. Yeah, in order for me to keep uh, moving from the horrible motels that we worked at. Yeah, to a nicer hotel on the Strip. I completely relate to this because, um,
0: for example, my mother is Mexican from Mexico Distrito Federal, and her highest achievement for me was to be a stay-at-home mother. Yes. And when I was going to college, she thought it was a waste of my time and a waste of my money. Actually, the day that I asked her to sign my college application to get me enroll, she punched me in the face and said, you will never be better than me. And, you know, I look back and I had a lot of bitterness and anger towards my mother. But now looking back, my mother only did the things she did because that's all she knew. Correct. For herself, like her mindset was so limited and she only knew what she knew. And in my culture... By the time you had your period and you were 15 years old, you were considered a woman. That's right. You were considered a quinceanera. And now you're ready to find your husband and start having babies and and be a wife. But it's completely different now because back then that's what they believed. And it's it's crazy because people don't understand that that's the cultural belief like Now that you have a job and you're 16 and you can speak a little bit of English, you're ready to fly the coop. (laughs) And if you're definitely not following what I want you to do, I even want you out of my house even more. Like, get out. And that's exactly what happened to me. I got kicked out at 18 and I thought I was like ill-equipped to be out at 18. So for 16, I can't even, I mean, 16, my stepson is 16. He can't even take the trash out, (laughs) like let alone be out on his own. So what was your first move? Like when she kicked
1: you out, where did you go? So I was working. I went to work and I talking to in the break room I'm talking to the other May ladies. Mm -hmm. Right. And one of them says, Erica, just come and live with me. Oh, so Margie. Margie is the one who moved her kids to another room. Made them share a room and gave me a room for me to, one, help her with the rent. And that's fine because I was working, but also allowed me to finish high school. That's awesome. So I Thank uh, you, Margie. Thank you, Margie. Thank you for For all the
0: Margies out there because I had a similar lady who helped me too. So that's amazing.
1: Yes. But because I was 16, I want to blame that because I was 16. I met someone who was 32 years old. And I know flags are going up right now. Yeah. I hope flags are going up right now. But I met someone that was 32 years old and I thought he was amazing. Yeah. And he was super jealous and he pushed me around and he treated me like crap. And I thought he was amazing because I didn't know any better. Right. So every jealousy I said to myself, Erica, he loves you. Otherwise, why would he care so much? Yeah. Yeah. I never got to see any of the flags, so his name was Scott, so I want to talk about, <laughs> talk about Scott.
0: Let's talk about Scott because I think Scott. we've all had a Scott in our life.
1: yes, and I ended up marrying Scott, and now you're how old about twenty, so you were with Scott for so, four so years. so remember, I never saw the the flags, but I think I didn't live with him I st- I stayed with Margie, finished my high school, and after I finished my high school and was working. I got my own apartment, my own little baby things, Mm -hmm. and still was dating Scott. I got married to him when I was 20. So now he's in his late 30s. Right. And the minute that I married him, I was beaten. I was beaten every single day. I never, he never hit my face, but he broke, you know, my hands, ribs. And uh, I had bruises really from the neck down, from the age of 20 till the age of 26. And between 20 and 26 is where the Air Force comes in. Okay. Because I wanted to be in the military, but because I was 16, homeless, and, and had to take a break from high school, I couldn't join. Mm. And then I'm in this very violent horrible relationship and I don't see a way out yeah and now I'm let's say 22 Mm -hmm. I'm 22 I'm watching a commercial on tv that says join the air force reserve and I'm thinking I like it (laughs) I like it so this is did you think it was your ticket out because something in me woke up Right. I, I was pretty controlled. Everything was controlled. I, my hair was long and black like yours. Mm -hmm. And every morning I would have to ask Scott and I never asked Scott or honey or dear. I would call him sir. Always, always sir. Sir, how do you want me to wear my hair today? And (sighs) he would have to say long or up or braid. He would tell me, do you want me to wear makeup? What do you want me to wear? And he would tell me what clothes to wear, how my face would look, and what my hair would be. Wow. And I would go in the kitchen, get water, only water, only water. Let me say that again, only water, because I would have to go back to him and ask for permission to see if I could eat that day.
0: (gasps) Unbelievable. Now, did Scott start off this way or was he super sweet and super kind in the beginning of your relationship and then all of a sudden his devil horn showed? Yeah,
1: he was, he, yes, a masterpiece of manipulation, right? So he was very kind, very protective. And when the protectiveness became more, I just didn't see it.
0: But he knew your story, right? He knew your background. So it was almost like he was a predator-
1: Searching for the perfect victim. There's no doubt in my mind that Scott is a predator. Mm. And I don't even know if he's alive now or not. But after I was able to walk away from that marriage, he ended up marrying a young lady from Colombia that I'm sure went through the same Same thing. thing. So that's the situation that I was in. I was asking another human being if I could eat or not. Wow. And I would do it if he said, uh, you're too fat. And mind <sighs> you, my frame has not changed. I I have the heaviest I have ever been. I'm 5'2 or so. And the heaviest I have ever been, and this is with being pregnant, is 125. Wow. And, and he would tell you you were fat. And he would tell me that I was ugly, I was fat, and that uh, I was lucky to have him in my life. And I believed him. Wow. I believed him. I saw the commercial and now you know the situation. So he's reading a newspaper and I say, sir, I just saw a commercial about the Air Force Reserve. And I was wondering, say it fast. I don't have time. Get the hell out of my face. I was wondering if I can join. I, it's going to be part time on the weekends and and I get to be in the military if they take me. And he said, do the FN you want. Mm. So you're like, yes, let's get out of here. To me, that was permission. I, the next day I went to the recruiter. I did whatever I needed to do Mm -hmm. in order to take the test and the medical. And in reality, that was the first time. And maybe there was other times in my life, but it's the first time that someone or something, Air Force, someone in the Air Force gave me value. It was the first time that someone said, you're good enough to be part of our team. That's incredible. It's crazy as a child,
0: like that's all we ever want is to be told that you are worthy, that you're lovable, that you're wanted, and that you are good enough. And you didn't get that from your parents. You didn't get it from your stepfather. You definitely didn't get it from your husband. So you got it from the United States Air Force.
1: Amen. Yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty magnificent. Because everything in me changed and I decided that if the Air Force was going to trust me, if the Air Force thought that I was worthy of wearing a uniform, that I would be grateful uh, yeah. for the rest of my life to this nation and for the rest of my life to every single person that uh, wears a uniform.
0: Yeah. And
1: uh, so it's pretty awesome that when we were playing back and forth on When are we going to do this amazing interview (laughs) that it ended up being today? Yeah.
0: Veterans Day of all days. Yeah. Now take us to that moment when they hand you your uniform. And I mean, and you're about to put it on as you see it like laid out. I don't know if it's on a bed or on a table. And I could just imagine you seeing it and just feeling this like awesomeness of like, oh, my God, I'm going to put this on. And you're going to be a part of something so incredible that has such legacy. What was your feeling? Because you've been wanting to be a part of the military and now you're finally there. I am there.
1: So things don't work as pretty as you just described them. <laughs> okay. Because what you just described sounds super, super cute. <laughs> Not so much. Oh, uh, you are put in a bus when they pick you up from the airport and you are taken to a base. hmm. And uh, there's some pretty mean looking individuals. Screaming at you to get out of the bus and to get into a dorm. Mm -hmm. And the uniforms come later. You earn the uniform. Oh. So they just throw you in this open bay with, who knows, maybe another 50 other females. Mm -hmm. And so this is where the miracle happens. Every single person, every single young lady that was there with me, I think all of them were crying (laughs) because it is shocking to have. People scream an inch from your face to be away from home and to not know what you just got into. Or what's going to happen next. Yeah. So there's this little bed made of metal with a very thin mattress in front of you. And that's going to be your bed. Mm. And you're staring at this thing and everybody's staring at this little bed. And there's some emotions. This is this is the emotion that I felt. My first night of basic training, I felt peace. Really? I promise you, I was looking up at the ceiling, praising God. While all the other ladies are crying in their bed. (laughs) And I'm watching them and I'm watching the instructors scream and throw things and everything stopped. And I am grateful Mm -hmm. and I am thankful that they're only screaming and not beating me. Wow. That was the first night in many, many years that I wasn't going to be raped, (gasps) that I wasn't going to be beaten. The routine with Scott was to hurt me, hit me, and then he would leave. In maybe 45 minutes or so, he would come back Mm -hmm. and apologize and bring me a gift and say how sorry he was because he just hurt the most precious thing in his life and how much he loved me. That was the cycle. Yeah. And, and then he wanted to have sex mm. and I would say no. And he would get angry again. And then he would rip every single piece of clothing I had on. I would run to the bed, to the room and hold on to sheets or towel or Anything I could hold on to cover my body. Oh my goodness! And he would then laugh, rip whatever I was covering my body with, and have sex with me. So do you not see why why I was so grateful? Absolutely, staring at that bed and looking at these ladies because you were finally safe. Uh huh. And do you not maybe see how grateful I am? to be where I'm at now. How grateful I am to say I'm American. Yeah. That I served 32 years. I went to war, came back, went to war again. And I did it with pleasure. I did it because I wanted to.
0: Wow. That is so incredible. Like I can't even, my heart is like beating out of my chest because I'm like, That is so incredible. And to sit across from you and know that you've endured all that and you're still sitting here with a smile on your face and just like thankful that you survived it and not just survived it, but like with a heart of gratitude, you did it. Because I mean, I I don't know how I would have survived that. But as females, you would be surprised how much we have inside of us to keep going. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about when you divorced Scott and how that conversation went. Do you think that the Air Force gave you the confidence to find that power to say, I'm, I'm
1: leaving? I want to say yes, but it took time. Okay. I went to basic training eight weeks, and then the Air Force sent me to school for me to have a trade, for me to have a job. And my job was to be a medic. So I became a medic in uh, my first 10, 15 years in the Air Force. But nonetheless, here I am with courage, With strength, with value, finally, uh, with a little bit of worth, self worth. And I am at the airport in Las Vegas with my duffel bag back from training. And I was tired. I was sleepy. I was tired. I was nervous. So what I did is I leaned my body on the duffel bag Mm -hmm. and I just rested my head on the duffel bag and I closed my eyes. The next thing I know is. Scott is grabbing the duffel bag from underneath me. Mm. So he pulls it from me and I go forward. Mm. And that was my wake up call. Really? That I was home. Yeah. (laughs) Right? He has not changed and he's ordering me to get in the truck. And then he starts screaming at me, almost making him go around the airport twice because I wasn't looking for him. And he is wasting his time picking up his wife from the airport. So I knew that there was going to be consequences when we got home and there were some consequences. But for the first time ever, I pushed back mm-hmm. and I said, no more. The problem was that I already described that I'm 5'2 and then maybe I was 110 pounds and he was a power mm so me pushing him back was like a feather and it just made him angrier. So I, can, I wish I could tell you that, boom, I was back and I had the strength to leave. And here I am. No, no, my friend, it, it took forever. I think that within a month, my courage and my worth and my strength and all the things that the Air Force had built in me I don't want to say diminished because they stayed, mm-hmm. but the light w- went out because I was back in the same routine as before. Oh no. I was, I was in the, uh, within a month, I was in the same routine of asking permission. The only saving grace that I had was that I had my Air Force weekends Yeah, and on those two days out of the month, maybe more sometimes, I had people that fed me. And people that appreciated me and people that told me that I was worth something. I never, uh, I mean, I do talk about Scott now, but I didn't talk about Scott then. I I had the mask on that everything yeah. was fine. Even if people saw bruises on me, you know, he was a powerlifter. I was a powerlifter. If people saw bruises on me, it was because... I was at the gym and, yeah. and I was working out with the guys. I was just about to ask you that if you had opened up to anyone
0: about what was really going on behind closed doors. No,
1: no, no, no. Not not my family. not Not anyone.
0: Yeah. Not anyone. I can relate to that. I didn't tell anyone about my abusive ex-boyfriend. I just pretended everything was great.
1: I did for years. And even after I divorced him, I did not talk about it. I am beginning to feel comfortable talking about it now and i think it has to do with sometimes we think that we are helping others mm-hmm. but in reality those others are helping you i started talking to women's groups and like you said you know share my story and it's my story so it's it's comfortable in parts mm-hmm. telling it but when i meet women or i meet abused children or i meet young people men and women who are struggling with what's next in my life, I can tell those stories and I can see that they also, they also have a story Yeah, and I also learn from them. Mm -hmm. So I get strength. I get strength by telling my story, but I also get strength from the stories that I hear from people that I spend my life with.
0: Oh, man, I, I totally resonate with you a lot because I didn't tell anyone anything for a long time. And for a long time, I carried shame and guilt. Yes. And I was so afraid of the judgment because I think I told one friend and she was like, how could you allow let him do it. that? How could you allow it? You're so strong and you just have this. I don't understand. And it's just like you, you don't understand until you're in it. And um, even the strongest people, strongest women, It's not always the meek woman. It's not always the woman that's like the wallflower that's getting abused. You would be surprised. It's just because we want to be loved so bad and we don't know what love really looks like. Correct. If we've never been shown what love really looks like, you accept what you think love looks like. And I grew up with an abusive mom, so I accepted that abuse as love. Yes. You know, and I'm sure you are seeking the same love and approval and wanting someone to think that you were worthy.
1: Right. I mean, conditioning is huge, right? The programming that we receive as children will guide us as adults. And we don't even know why we make the decisions that we make. But talking about my mom, I was in my late 20s already. And even though I was out of the house, I continued to work and be in the military and be married. But I continue to help my, my mother and my stepdad financially. Really? With, it's cultural. Yeah. It's, it, those chains are My fun. mom tried to ask me for money. I said, no. Uh, <laughs> n- not I. I said, yes, mother. Oh, man. <laughs> and uh, so uh, even though, and I never stopped. So even though she kicked me at 16, I kept giving her money. Wow. But what I was going to share with you is that even though John was, I don't want to say the best stepdad, mm-hmm. I can understand now why he was the way that he was. And he's, he died quite a few years ago, but before he died, we became really good friends. And mm-hmm. he was able to, he was able to change my mind. He was able to sit me down with my arms crossed and angry because he wanted to talk to me about my mom. And I'm like, I want to talk about her. Yeah. But he, he had the courage and the strength to say, sit down. And this is what I want to share. And what I want to share is that my mother was 15 when she was married. Yeah. She was 18 by the time she had the three of us. Mm-hmm. And what he wanted me to know is that when she left, she did it to survive. Yeah. And that when she locked the door behind her, she did it to create distance, never thinking or imagining that it was going to take seven days for someone to find us. And I can tell you that John gave me a great gift. And that is that he allowed, I guess I allowed it, but he helped me find forgiveness mm. in my heart. And once forgiveness entered my heart, then I was, I was finally freed. Yeah, And I was able to go back to that decrepit shack in full darkness and hold that five-year-old and tell her that she was not alone. And I was able, this is forgiveness. Forgiveness yeah. allowed me to then talk To that Mm 12-year-old. I'm trying not to cry. Don't cry. But I was able to tell that 12-year-old not to live in anger for the rest of her life. My mother lives with me. My mother lives with me now. She suffered a uh, massive stroke years ago. And she's a total care patient. I learned not to hold the decisions that a young girl made. And hold them against the fragile. Right. Yeah. Fragile, thick, small woman that's in front of me today.
0: And it also goes with finding forgiveness for the woman that you were when you were with Scott and finding that forgiveness of like, and I, because I think about that as I'm sitting here tearing up, it's like finding forgiveness for the child that I was before to the woman that I was in that relationship, you know, because you have to forgive yourself for not knowing better and like I love Maya Angelo. she says now that you know better do better that's right so th- this has been such an incredible share and journey of a fearless female but I have to wrap up this episode even though I would love for you to continue to talk Erica as we wrap up this episode how would you what would you love to leave with the females that are listening to it right now your nugget of wisdom that are possibly going through the journey that you went through or are in the
1: middle of that journey? Or what would you say to them? Well, I, I want to say to all of us, because the message is for me as well. Mm-hmm. And the message is that do not measure who you are by your present conditions. Mm-hmm. So whatever your present conditions are, if, if, if you're in a good place in life right now, amazing. But if you are in that dark room, if you are in that horrible place where you can't even take a breath without that breath hurting you, please understand that it's transitional. Yeah. And do not judge your future. Do not judge. Who would have guessed that a half-naked five-year-old child in muddy roads in Guatemala would have been here with you today? Yeah, I would have been able to share that I was able, by the grace of God, I was able to become one of the top 10 chiefs in the whole Air Force. That's amazing. Right? That I can help children, that I can help women, that I can help men. You know who I'm helping now? I'm helping men who have been predators. And is it hard? Yes. Is it worth it? Absolutely. My challenge to every single listener to us here in this room is to keep fighting, to keep getting up and to keep moving forward. Oh, I love that. Thank you, Erica,
0: so much for being here. If that isn't an incredible fearless female journey, I don't even know what is. Thank you again for being here. I am so honored to have you here on Veterans Day. You are an incredible woman. I'm so thankful for my friend, Natalie who introduced me to you and brought you here. I mean, I am so incredibly honored. And I know that every single woman that is listening to this podcast can relate and resonate with you in so many different levels. Thank you again for listening to Journey of a Fearless Female. I'm your host, Paola Rosser. If you're looking for a life coach or a spiritual mentor, you can book a free discovery call with me at www.fearlessfemale.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at fearlessfemale underscore coach. Subscribe to my YouTube channel at fearlessfemale or find me on TikTok. I'm under at paola.rosser. And if you love this episode, make sure you hit subscribe, share it with your friends and leave a review. I read every single review and I truly appreciate the time you spend writing it.